Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of DM Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reader, and with me, as always, is my co-DM, Ben Baumhofer. How are you doing this evening, Ben? Oh, man, we're DMs now of this show? Well, I guess I kind of should have realized that, considering, you know, we, we put the whole thing together and present it and stuff. Yeah, so we're the, we're the content creators of yeah. this podcast. So that means that every single person who listens is a PC in our game. That's right. So we've and got what like a wild, strange trip it's been so far. Oh, I know. And think about it. Like if we ever actually like ran a session with everybody who listened, um, that'd be called an epic. A round of combat would probably take a while. <laughs> it, it probably would. And, and in fact, I don't know if you've ever been involved in an epic. I before. haven't actually. I've heard some stories though. They're really cool. And for, for those that don't know that what that is, just getting slightly off topic right at, right at the front because we're well, not. That's what we do. <laughs> that's right. And, and Epic is basically um, kind of shared storytelling where a bunch of different groups and a bunch of different DMs come together, all play at the same time and play in the same setting, normally for the same event, but from different perspectives or different locations of of a similar uh setting and it's usually for everyone is going for this one shared or two shared whatever a a small amount of shared objectives that Mm -hmm. can succeed or fail depending on what happens on a per group basis it sounds super complicated and it is but it is also one of the coolest things ever that sounds really cool. I've heard a, of a, uh, you know, a, a couple of those where, you know, it's like a, not exactly an adventure league kind of thing, but they, they, you know, put the word out, get a whole bunch of in. They've got like, what, six or seven DMs running just individual tables where it's the idea of like, maybe it's just a massive warfare of trying to like, you know, liberate a country or something, or, you know, really just taking down a big bad evil guy. And like something like that just sounds really cool. And, you know, someday I hope to kind of be part of one of those. I think that'd be pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, my local game store every once in a while does epics that you can sign up for. Um, so I'm hoping to get in on the next one of those because that'd be pretty cool. That would be very but, cool. Speaking of combat, that's actually going to be kind of one of our focuses. And we've talked about encounter building before, but this is we're, we're going to kind of go to the next step. And we're going to talk about running combat and uh, a few of the different types of, of monster you can run in your combat. Because you've got uh, single big bad monsters, you've got multiple monsters, and potentially something uh, called mobs that you can run as well. And some of this is within the 5e rule set. Some of this is homebrewed and will help hopefully make your life easier while you're running combat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's funny because like everybody does combat a different way. Uh, You know, there's, there's like little differences between, you know, every single group that I've ever run. There's differences from what I decide to run. And a lot of it is going to be kind of flavored to what you think works for you. And, you know, like how you know streamlined you want it to be versus you know how intricate and things like that and that's one of the the neat things about being a dm is really kind of finding your niche to see what works best for you exactly so we're going to kind of go through the types a little bit um and hopefully 
spark some ideas, uh, potentially give you some tips that will help you streamline your combat and help make it better. So the first big thing is I want to challenge my players with a single strong monster. And so this is, especially once you get past level five, Mm -hmm. this can be very hard to do because as we've mentioned before, we've talked before about the action economy, which is how many times a party or uh, an enemy can act per round. So if you have a party of four people, they are going to have at least four action attack actions or spell actions or whatever Um, at higher levels, your fighter or your ranger or your barbarian may be attacking two or three times per attack action. Um, So you have to, you really have to balance that out because many times single monsters will have two, maybe three attacks. So you're going up. So you're trying to put this single monster up against say a party of four that can attack it seven or eight times to every three times it can attack. Who's going to win? Probably the party. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but at the same time you want to, especially in certain situations or a big boss fight or something, you want to bring in challenge. Uh, And I've definitely found through personal experience that my group can handle monsters CR far above what they are but you have to be careful because if you go too high you're going to be one-shotting people and that's not fun so you have to find that balance between this guy is basically a pincushion and he dies in two rounds and he gets to attack once or twice because my party just just unloads on him um and the other side where it's Every time he attacks, someone dies, <laughs> and it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's total party kill, TPK. Um, so there's a there's a few different ways you can handle things like this. Um, we're gonna talk about one of those ways in our community content shout out. Uh, a it's actually a Matthew Colville video, very very interesting. Um, we'll talk about that a little later. But Five E does have some built in things that you can use to kind of even out the odds. And these are called legendary actions and legendary resistances. Mm -hmm. Um, And legendary actions basically allow your monster to attack when it is not their turn by burning one of X number of legendary actions. And this allows you to even out the action economy a little bit when you are having the party fight a single strong monster. And then you have legendary resistances, which let you automatically succeed on a saving throw, um, which kind of show uh, the power of a boss or let them resist a, a large spell or automatically succeed for half damage on some big thing to show that they are very powerful. And it's one of those things, there's, there's a lot of monsters with that built in, but there's a lot of monsters without it. And it's one of those things with, with just a little bit of homebrew work. If you're wanting a powerful, a single powerful enemy for story reasons or whatever, you can build those in to your monster without too much trouble. Exactly. And uh, I mean, for just a really good example, if you're trying to figure out what we're talking about by the legendary actions or the resistances, dragons are like just the best thing to look at. 
um, you know, if, if your party is going up against a dragon and one of them wants to, I don't know, try to dominate monster on it or something like that, you roll your wisdom save or in, intellect save or whichever save it is and you fail, boom, you use one of those legendary resist, resistances right there and you choose to completely just succeed. You don't have to worry about that. Now, the difference between legendary actions and resistances, though, is that resistances, you have a limited amount. Uh, usually it's per day. So if you know you have three of them, which is generally the amount that you're going to come across on a lot of these monsters, you burn all those, guess what? If uh, the bard walks up and wants to polymorph you into a snail and you fail it, you're a snail at that point. <laughs> Um, whereas the legendary actions, those are each round. Every single round it resets. And depending on what kind of action you want to use, some of them actually count uh, as you know using multiple legendary actions at a time. Like um, I, I don't have a dragon pulled up, so I can't go off the top of my head here. But like the uh, a wing buffet, I think is uh, like two legendary actions. So instead of like just doing three tail swipes throughout the round do the wing buffet that counts as two. Then that leaves you with one until, you know, the round resets and everything and being able to do this really does help. Uh, like you Ryan, you were saying with the action economy to, you know, make it much more challenging and so that you don't just die just straight away. I mean, how many times have you like poorly planned an encounter and then all of a sudden it's over in like a round, maybe two with you, you know, rolling once and missing and then just kind of waiting to die. <laughs> It's it's rough, especially if it was meant to be a lot more or some epic battle. And so that's why uh, a lot of times there's there's tons of supplements on the DMs Guild. There's tons of monster books. Uh, find find the one you want. If it doesn't have legendary actions and you want it to be a big single monster fight, add them. Exactly. And, and come up with, there's a ton of examples that you can use uh, for for legendary action attacks. And so uh, it, it can really help you out. The other big thing for single monsters is location permitting something called layers. Mm -hmm. And layers are really cool because, um, and these are actually a rule in 5e, um, layers go on initiative 20, um, but losing to anybody who actually a, a player or a monster that actually got a 20. Um, but essentially what they will do is if you are in say a dragon layer, um, the dragon uh, on initiative 20, the dragon layer will have some sort of attack action or spell that it can cast within a certain radius like the layer itself is casting that can help out the boss monster. And these are really, really interesting things to use because you can really theme layers to be villain and location specific. You are in uh, Dracula's castle, right? Or Strahd's mm -hmm. castle, if you want to. <laughs> you, you could have uh, the layer be able to cast a magical darkness spell. You could have a layer be able to cast like um, spike growth or something like that, something themed. And you can, you can theme spells however you want. You can make them look however you want. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, it's really easy to say, this spell looks cool, and then I'm just going to theme it thematically to fit a vampire or to fit a dragon or something like that. And then you can give, have that extra set of tools 
to use along with your monster. And so even though another HP pool isn't present, more threat is present. Exactly. And this is something that actually adds a lot more to the dynamic of combat in the first place. Um, I ran a, a level 10 one shot where my party had to go up against a beholder the layer actions that were going on, there are like three different ones to choose from. One where like a slime just like kind of appears in a big area on the ground. So it's difficult terrain. Uh, another one was um, like a, a tendril will reach out and just kind of grasp and hold someone. And then the third one was a random eye will just pop out of a wall and fire one of the beams at, you know, one of the players. And because of that, it, it, it changed up the entire uh, encountered so that they were actually having to think and, and think about cover and okay well if I'm behind cover I still have a chance of getting hit with a beam from this eye you know that could just kind of sprout out and stuff meanwhile the difficulties of fighting Beholder itself was right there so even though they were only fighting the one monster it, it became more dynamic and it actually lasted for uh, quite a few rounds I think maybe five or six rounds or so and before they ended up finally killing it and stuff. And it, it added a lot more fun to me because I was doing much more than just, okay, well, now it fires an I-beam over here because, you know, it's, it, I'm using its legendary action. The layer itself became another, not exactly monster, but just another tool to give you more access to fun, which I think, I mean, you know. More challenge. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, everybody's there to have a good time. And if you're just kind of running one monster, just doing the same thing over and over again, it's not as much fun for the DM and you get to have fun too. That, that is such a great point. There's, there's so many times and it's, it's not wrong. There's, there's so many times that you, so you focus on the player fun or your players having fun. And that is, that is a big deal. You want your players to be having fun, but it's just as big of a question as, are you having fun? Because if you're not having fun, it doesn't matter if your players are having fun. It's going to drain you and eventually make you want to quit. Exactly. And that's one of the reasons why some of these, you know, like big time monsters and stuff can be a lot of fun to play. Like dragons are great. Uh, beholders are a lot of fun. I mean, these things can be potentially deadly to your players, but at the same time, they kill everything that you throw at them. You know, danger needs to be there in some sense. You know, we've talked about that before about player death and, and stuff like that, but even more so being able to overcome the challenge of a, a tough monster with a layer and everything like that adds a lot more to the whole experience overall. It makes, you know, decisions matter. It makes um, just, you know, every sort of play type like a lot more fun. And because the risk is involved, it, it's a lot more fulfilling too. So being able to have fun with one of these like, you know, kind of scary, gruesome monsters or whatever, just it, it's an overall benefit for the entire party. Exactly. And one of the one of the big things to do as a DM is if you are running a single powerful monster, not always, but chances are it will be quite a bit more complex than most of your standard fare that you're throwing at the players. So make sure you as a DM review the monster beforehand and review all their capabilities, especially if they're a spell caster so that you can get familiar with what they can cast or a beholder, get familiar with the I beams um, and, and what can happen that way during the middle of the battle. You're not sitting there and going, what do I do? What do I do? I've got like 
15 options. What do I do? Just make sure that you as a DM come in prepared to play something of, of this magnitude. And I think that kind of transitions a little bit into the multiple monster point mm-hmm. too. Definitely. Um, most of the encounters that I've run uh, up till this point have been multiple monsters just because it, you know, the, the level that we're working at and stuff, as well as, uh, you know, my players haven't actually come up against a super duper big, bad, evil guy. Um, it, it makes more sense for, you know, monsters to attack in groups or bandits or something like that. And I'll tell you, I have failed greatly in some of my combat prep and, and everything. Um, my players might not realize that, but well, hopefully they haven't. In fact, if you're listening right now, I was perfect with everything that I played. Yep. <laughs> it's super planned. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I went through a, a a portion of the campaign where um, I was running with a lot of dark elves, and so they're fighting, you know, like kind of groups of dark elves. Some were like the you know the heavy hitters, like the the, the more warrior type. Some were just basically fodder to to kind of go through, and. Even though it's just, oh, it's it's just a dark elf, whatever. You know, they have all these different abilities like baked into them where they're more challenging than just a, a straight up random, you know, like duelist. They're able to cast darkness, which I'll, I'll say doesn't fully work for uh, my group, unfortunately, because I have someone who can see through magical darkness, but whatever. Um, I also have a bard who dispels it every time it happens. <laughs> so... Uh, but the thing Darn is, bards. I know it, it worked perfectly though, because you know, they, they don't know what they're going up. The dark elves don't know what they're going up against. So obviously they're going to be using these same tricks, but like one of the things that I kept missing was that they're able to parry, which would have made the combat last a little bit longer, would have stopped some of those attacks from happening. And it, it's my fault for not reading that. Um, when they were going through finding like the changelings uh, or the, the doppelgangers that they're finding and stuff, uh, it turns out they can't be charmed. I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't familiar enough with that to see that. And so because they were charmed, they solved some, some pretty heavy issues because they were able to do that. Um, you know, going forward, you know, there's going to be a different breed who of course can't be charmed. These ones could. So, you know, I've, I've got ideas on how to, you know, totally backtrack on all that, but, um, <laughs> being able to see, you know, or or to know for certain all the different abilities and stuff that they have is very, very important so that you do have access to your entire toolkit to, you know, strategize on your end as opposed to just, I'm going to run up and just attack this person because they're melee. Yep. I, I totally agree. And, um, one of the things that, and this is, this is just me personally. Um, your mileage may vary, of course, but one of the things I don't like to run more than five or six enemies at a time, unless I'm using something else that we'll talk about here, here in a minute. Um, because the more monsters you're running, the more complicated initiative gets, the longer the rounds take, and the more you have to keep track of as a DM. Because the players, they just have their character they're keeping track of. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I like to do as a DM is I actually have uh, initiative trackers 3D printed out so that when after everyone rolls initiative, I actually put them up on my DM screen so that everyone can see. That way it allows the players to know when their turn is coming up and start planning in advance what they want to do. 
It's extremely helpful. And if you don't use some sort of initiative tracker, I would highly recommend it because mm-hmm. it can help a lot um, just to kind of keep track of everything. But running, running five or six monsters is, is a lot. It really is, especially if you have mixed type. We talked a little bit about spellcasters. Um, there are some, even like lower mid-level spellcasters that can cast like 10 or 15 spells. And it's, especially if you're not using something like D&D Beyond that gives you quick and easy spell access or have some, a big old thing printed out on what all these spells are, it can be incredibly hard to use them on the fly. Oh, so much so, so much so. Uh, in fact, I don't know how many times I've done, I've gone through trying to do something. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to use this spell. It's like, oh crap, what does this one do exactly? And even though D&D Beyond, it, it does help say you, you use a plus whatever for this attack or, or and everything like that, you still want to make sure that you know enough about the spell to know if like, okay, well, what if they save, do they take half damage or, you know, what exactly are the effects of sleep? How does it work? You know, it's sleep, especially that's, ugh, hate doing sleep, <laughs> but it, nice. exactly. But the, the whole idea behind it is, is that, I mean, there are just plain, easy, you know, firebolt. I'm just throwing fire at this dude, but, there's also secondary effects on a lot of these different spells that you really need to know because that's a major aspect of what you're actually casting. Yeah, completely, completely agree. It's, it it is hard. And so one of the, one of the tips I can give you, especially if you're running a lot of monsters and you have one or multiple spell casters in your group is take a little time before, before the session Go to, go to your spellcasters and pick out maybe three or four spells that you think look interesting, you think you can use that might be, you know, uh, some damage ones and then like a few utility ones and limit your spellcasters to just those because to be perfectly honest, chances are they will not last more than three rounds. I would be surprised if they did. Especially if they're just like... It, it, this is not some big boss battle. If this is just, you know, you're, you're up against uh, some well-armed mercenary group or something like that. And so it, it, chances are you're not going to get a chance to cast anywhere near the amount of spells they actually have available to cast and the amount of spell slots they have available to cast. So beforehand, go through, grab a few, simplify your life, make it easier. It can mm-hmm. be extremely helpful, especially for spellcasters. Martial classes not not near as bad usually, um, as they have a much more limited stat block, on average. But spellcasters, it can it can get tough at, at points. So that that's just a recommendation, especially if you find yourself having trouble managing uh, a large amount of of spells for for an enemy. Exactly, and you know you said martial uh, classes don't you know, have as much as well, which is, is very true. I, I definitely agree with you on that just because, I mean, heck you throw in five spells. That's more than most martial classes have, you know, skills in the first place. But again, some of those skills have a secondary effect or something along those lines. Um, like going back to the drow, they have, you know, a special crossbow, uh, crossbow boat. Yeah. Crossbow bolts. There we go. That are poisoned. 
And if, you know, you, you, you fail the con save, okay, you're poisoned. But if it's, you know, more than a certain amount, you're asleep and it's a magical sleepness. And, you know, there's all that that goes into it. But if you just see, Hey, crossbow, great fire that you're missing out on potentially two different effects that could affect the entire combat experience. Um, uh, also uh, fun facts, uh, having those as crossbow bolts for your party afterwards, make sure you don't have too many of them left over because they're going to start <laughs> using them. <laughs> Which, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm happy they're that they have all, them. They're all broken. Oh, yeah. Um, no. I don't know what happened. It was... it, it, it's been great having them pull them out and use it and like uh, randomly just stick something. I'm like, oh, well, okay. Well, he's asleep now. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. <laughs> like, uh, how many are left? <laughs> exactly I, although i did have to homebrew create the actual bolts to put in their inventory though that's which awesome i that's i fun. did a poor job with that but anyways <laughs> um but uh you know all those little different things matter um there's a lot of mobs especially once you start getting into like the two three you know cr rating and stuff like that they're gonna have multi-attack on there you know pay attention to what it is um, if they have a, a great accent and, and some javelins or something, you can only multi-attack with the melee as opposed to, you know, sticking people with javelins and stuff. So again, familiarity overall with abilities is, is important. But one other thing too that matters most is when you have multiple monsters, look at the synergy between all of them. Um, my, my campaign, they've been running into some orcs lately if you have an orc war chief on there, he's got an ability of, of a war cry that basically gives everybody else bloodlust if they're in a certain uh, range. And that gives everybody advantage on their attacks without knowing that that completely changes the entire round of combat. You know, it's, it's like, it, sure. It only lasts for one round, but you hit it. And in that round, if you still have a lot of your other orcs alive, guess what? You can do some major damage in one round. Um, another thing is uh, understanding like just, you know, if you have a, a group of like say goblins or something, if you have multiple types in there, again, see what sort of synergy you can create so that you, you're able to, again, do just more than, well, I'm going to run up and hit you. Granted, I still do that on some things because some things you can only do that with. But it, <laughs> it, it, again, it's a way to make it more challenging and you know definitely memorable. If all of a sudden you're like, yeah, we got these orcs, everything's going to go great. And all of a sudden one just lets out this gigantic war cry and it bolsters the rest of the forces. And then you see the, their eyes become red with fury and stuff. She's like, oh, oh crap. crap, what just happened? <laughs> Oh yeah, totally agree. There's there's a lot of really fun things you can do like that. And I love to have those type of things play into each other with how the monsters are actually interacting. Um, so then just building off of that, let's say I want to run more than five or six monsters. Whew, we are, we are starting to get complicated here. Yes. Uh, and especially no, especially if they're all different types, you crazy person, you. Uh, <laughs> a lot of times, though, when you fight a lot of monsters, a lot of the monsters will be of the same type. It's a swarm of goblins, a swarm of kobolds. Uh, there's several ogres, oh boy, uh, that you're having to, to face. And so one of the things that you can do to make it easier on yourself, uh, well, two things in general. First, uh, Similar monster types go on the same initiative. Mm -hmm. That can 
help you out a ton by keeping your turn timer down. It's a lot less for you to keep track of as a DM as well. And the players can then know that, hey, all the goblins are going on this turn. Yeah, this, so this it's, works. It's really good. It it helps a lot. Exactly, and like you said, if they're the same type, it definitely works. I tend to do that definitely more when there's like a lot of like minions on the field. You know, uh, if you're getting into a lot more heavy duty monsters and stuff like that, it makes it, in my opinion, a little challenging to the players sometimes. Because like, if you're going, let's say, I don't know, you randomly have four displacer beasts on the field as well each of them going could potentially you know, turn the tide in just one of their turns because all four of them are going at the same time. But if they're more minion-y and everything like that, where it's like, okay, well, you know they're going to do kind of minimal damage if they hit, it makes it a lot easier because you have your, like, your big orc war chief over here and a pack of goblins over here and, and you know, oh, well, the little mini goblins are going to be running together as opposed to, I don't know, a pack of orc war chiefs? That doesn't make sense, but if you had like five of those all together on the same turn together for this. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like at that point that, that that's where you kind of have to, again, be familiar with all the different abilities that these monsters and mobs have. So you can kind of figure out which ones are okay to put together. But again, like types usually works out really well in that. Yeah. And one other really big thing that can help simplify your life when you're doing these mob or minion type encounters where you have a lot of a lot of the same type is you can use uh something called pooled hp and what this does is it eliminates the need to track health on monsters individually it allows you uh as a dm to have also a little more combat and narrative flexibility so just to kind of give an example let's say i'm running seven goblins and two or three other things, right? Instead of each of these goblins having individual health, I say, okay, seven goblins, they have a total pool of 75 or 80 health, Mm -hmm. right? And then that way, as the players do damage to them, instead of tracking each individual goblin, I subtract the health from the HP pool. And so, and then I can have a number in my head if I want, and, and you don't have to do this. And that's why I say this gives you combat and narrative flexibility because it allows you to decide when a monster dies and you can time that with really cool moments if you want as well. So I could have a number in my head and say, on average, these goblins probably have 12 or 13 health. If someone does 12 or 13 damage to a single goblin, I'll probably kill it, right? Yeah. If someone does five or six damage to a goblin, I might not kill it. Um, And I don't even necessarily have to make a note that a goblin has been hurt already or, or whatever. Um, I can, I can kind of, keep track and be like, okay, number one goblin took damage. Don't even have to write down how much it just took damage. Um, and then next time it gets hit for five or six damage, it dies. It's going down, but it basically, it, it, it's a little, 
uh, it, it takes a little doing on the DMs part, but it can really help overall simplify things in that you're tracking one big pool of HP rather than a bunch of little pools of HP all at the same time and allow you to have cool moments for your players for when they kill monsters um, or how your enemies survive. Yeah. And this is something that I'm, I haven't actually experienced or practiced or played with at all. And it's, it's really interesting, kind of intriguing to me. Um, like so far I, I haven't really run anything more than like five or six monsters at a time. And a lot of the time, like, even though they might be like the same goblins, I'm rolling the health for each one and tracking it and everything like that. And depending on the setting, that, that, that works just fine. But I like the idea of, you know, being able to be, you know, kind of cinematic about it and stuff. You know, like you said, it's like, you know, there's one huge hit and you definitely like, like cleave this one in two where this one just might get an arrow in, in the shoulder or something. And that's kind of cool. I, I'm, I'm going to have to try that out. Uh, once they get completely overrun by dinosaurs or something. Yeah. Not that that's happening right away, guys. <laughs> it's, it's definitely not something that works as well. I mean, you could use it for two or three if you really wanted to, but then tracking two or three individually is not as big of a deal. But if exactly. you're wanting like a mob or a swarm, it can make your life a lot easier. Very much so from what it sounds like. Uh, any other tips on running monsters, Ben, before we, before we shift gears? Yeah. Um, okay. So going back to the whole, I'm just going to run up and attack this guy. <laughs> um, I, I'd recommend, you know, try to do what you can to kind of, you know, um, mix it up a little bit because a lot of these, again, I'm just using a lot of lower level, you know, monsters as uh, kind of an example just for multiples because mostly that's what I've used for the most part. But even so, even higher level like challenge rated monsters and stuff, they have you know uh, a melee and ranged you know attacks of some sort. At least this is what I've seen on a lot of this stuff. So you know, don't have every single goblin who's attacking run at them with the sword. You know, have some standing back who are you know maybe they're scared, maybe they're they're hiding behind a tree or something, getting ready to just pop out and fire at them, and then just pop right back behind the tree. You know, kind of mix it up so that it's not just every single person you know, is the same exact thing no matter what, because I highly doubt your party is going to be like that. So, you know, mix it up and try to, you know, have differences for what makes sense. Um, Same with like, when you get to the point where, you know, you're running with uh, monsters or mobs or whatever that, you know, have spells, have some martial characters in there with some spell casters, you know, mix it up, kind of, uh, throw a mesh or mishmash together and and see how it goes. And um, that way you have not only, you know, your players who are, you know, okay, well, this one's a spellcaster, that one's range, this one's melee and stuff. They're going to be coming across things kind of similar to themselves and they can see, you know, like potentially learn things that are, oh, well, gosh, we need to make sure to protect the wizard at all costs. Like what if they've never had that thought happen before Meanwhile, they come up against other things. There's a wizard in the group. You guys just nail him in two hits and then he's gone. And it kind of helps, you know, them with their own defenses, but even more so again, it's variety in what they're attacking and it just makes it more interesting. If you ask me. Yeah, I completely agree. Variety is the spice of life. Yes. (laughs) You know, I've I've heard that before somewhere. I I don't know where, but somewhere. 
It's, it's a thing. It's a saying. <laughs> Speaking of the spice of life, that's our next topic. Oh my gosh. Yes, it's bards. The spiciest <laughs> of all classes. I bet someone <laughs> thought you were going to say cook and, you know, there's definitely no, no chef so far. Although they need to throw like a chef background in there somewhere. That, that'd be an interesting, interesting background or subclass. <laughs> I'm a fighter. My subclass is chef. Yes, I'm going around and killing things to try different uh, recipes. <laughs> Delicious. It's, it's all buff. It's all uh, foods that buff you. Exactly. <laughs> there's, there's, there's something in there somewhere. I don't yeah. know if I'm going to do anything with it, but there's definitely something. Uh, <laughs> no, we're going we're to take uh, a little bit of time and we're going to just talk about barding 101. Uh, bards are a super unique interesting class partially because they they can be a very uh hybridy type mm-hmm. class you can be very uh spell casting focused with no sort of ranged or melee you can be uh, a great hybrid of the two where you have some type of martial prowess and some spell casting uh or you could go very lean very heavy into the martial side and just be slightly more utility on, on the spellcasting side. Uh, so there's there's a lot of it's it's a very flexible class. It's a very very interesting class. It's charisma based um, as your main modifier for the most part. Uh, dexterity also being uh, a very good one, especially if you're going to lean into the, the the martial side of things. And they have a very unique class ability called inspiration Mm -hmm. Um, and inspiration is something that all bards get and it's a uh, starting with a d6 and moving up d8 d10 d12 as you level it's something that you can use a bonus action to give other players to allow them an extra dice to roll on an ability check um, on an attack on a saving throw not not damage um, but basically just an overall, here's something to help you because I'm inspiring you in some way. Now, the first thing that I have to say to this is that if you are playing in a group and you are not a bard, but there is a bard, use the inspiration. <laughs> like, I, I don't know how many times I've seen something where inspiration's given and it could have been the difference between, you know, life and death or, you know, save, not save or a hit or not hit. And, you know, they just kind of, the player will just forget about it. Now, and I don't know, this may sound a little weird how I say this, but look at a bardic inspiration as trash. You need to get rid of it as soon as possible. You know, this isn't something that, that you cherish and you hold on to and you think, oh, this is going to make sure that, you know, I'm able to always live and, and, and it's the best thing in the world. They expire after what, like a minute? Ten minutes. Ten minutes. Yeah. That's all you got. It, it's it's super important to be aware of, of that you have this, and I don't know how many times I've been in a in a group or in a party where a bard's given me something, you know, an inspiration, and generally I use it pretty fast because hey, the first time that I get to something where it's not going to work, I just throw my inspiration in right there because that's what it's for, and it is such a unique mechanic to the entire game. It's like basically not exactly giving yourself the luck feat, but it's something that just adds on. 
that being said, though, definitely be aware of if it would even help or not. If you roll like a two on something, don't throw your bardic inspiration in there because there's probably no chance that that's going to help. But if you're rolling like a 15 and you know that the the boss or the, the monster you're fighting has like maybe a 17 AC, throw that inspiration in there. You got a really good chance of actually turning it into a success. Exactly. Uh, one of the other really cool things about bards is they get something, uh, and this is an all bard thing. They get something called Jack of all trades, which I hate <laughs> every bard for <laughs> it's super incredible because starting at second level, you get to add half of your proficiency bonus rounded down to any ability check you make that doesn't, that you're not already proficient in. So basically you have, you know, you have your skills that you're proficient in, which allows you to add your proficiency modifier to Mm -hmm. them. Bards starting at second level get to basically be half proficient in everything, which, (sighs) (laughs) really allows for uh bards to have honestly especially as you get on in levels quite a bit to their uh plus modifier to pretty much any skill check Mm -hmm. exactly and you know playing a bard is fantastic because you know at a lower level you might not be so great at stealth but by the time you get to like level 10 you're half proficient in it 10 is what like um uh, plus four to proficiency maybe so you you have a yeah, plus two automatically in there that you didn't have before that's like mind-blowingly good <laughs> and especially if you get even higher it's like you're basically proficient with everything that you do at some point oh man it's it's so broken but great it's it's quite it's quite good um so what do you need to know about playing a bard and there's there's been i mean bards have a uh stereotype that goes with them uh (laughs) boisterous loud charming very charismatic uh musical stuff seems to, to to go with them quite a bit but there can be quite a bit more to them um and you can definitely have a bar that you play quote unquote against type and still make very very interesting uh perhaps your bardic inspiration and your spells do not come from song or instrument but uh, powerful, eloquent speeches Mm -hmm. or some sort of performance aspect that is, that is not, not tied to that. Um, Perhaps you are not a bard that is very boisterous. You are a bard that is very uh, persuasive or deceptive, um, which can go quite well with the high charisma modifier and so maybe you have the smooth tongue rather than the, I am a big deal. I'm performing. I'm making a, a show of everything. And so there's a lot of different ways you can play it to, to make things interesting. Uh, but regardless of how you play it, just from the very fact that charisma is most likely, uh, or you might have find yourself having a, uh, uh, a less effective bard. Charisma is a, is a big thing for them. A lot of times people will expect bards to do a lot of the talking. 
yeah. So, I mean, if you are going into a party with that, just kind of expect something like that to happen. Uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, might not be prepared to, you know, broker the deals or, you know, try to deceive to and, and lie to get into a party or something along those lines. But having all that can be a lot of fun. Like, if you're, you know, a, a, a great improviser or, you know, you want to be the life of the party or something like that, Bard is a fantastic class to choose. Now, one of the big things that uh, I, I want to point out, and I mean, you already kind of touched on it, is it, you don't have to sing. You don't even have to, you know, physically play an instrument. You don't have to, you know, give your speech, you know, unless your DM like really requires it of you or something. But you just say, hey, I give, I'm giving them inspiration as opposed to actually singing a song out or something like that. But, you know, it can be a lot of fun to kind of get into the role and really kind of play act it and stuff like that. Like I'm a big fan of doing that and I'll make a fool of myself with, you know, random stupid songs that, uh, Bards you know, are a great way to make a fool of yourself. Oh yeah, definitely. Out of, <laughs> out of any class. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good one if you want to make a fool of yourself. Oh yeah. But I mean, it all comes down to, you know, what you're comfortable with, with again, Remember, you're probably going to be doing a lot of talking. Just keep keep a you know keep yourself ready for that. Um, but one of the neatest things about bars, you know, kind of like you said, they're they're they can be a hybrid class or or not if they want to and stuff. But being able to fill in almost every role is kind of the best thing about bards. And now, correct me if I'm wrong here, but as you love so as you level up, you get more spell slots. But every time you level, you're able to change your spells around to something else that's static for that level, right? Yeah. So as a bard, you have you have a certain amount of spells you can learn, but they're all prepared at a time. Unlike a wizard where you have a big list, but you can only prepare a certain amount. With bards, you have a set list, and then you can pick them, and then you know them. But every time you level up, you can swap those out for completely different things. Mm -hmm. And one of the things the bards have in plenty is utility spells. Oh my gosh, bards so much are, so. Yeah, bards are incredible utility casters, whether being buffing party, debuffing enemies, or just creating general havoc around the battlefield. Yes, they do have some direct damage spells and stuff, but they are exceedingly good at... Um, utility focused areas. Exactly. If you want to really control the flow of battle, a bard is one of the best things you can choose, whether it's, you know, some sort of crowd control device with, uh, you know, a, a polymorph thrown here or there, um, or stopping people from being confused by doing your stop confused song, which I forget what that's called. But I mean, they're so utilitarian and hybridy and everything like I'm not saying Bard's the best class, but Bard's the best class. <laughs> I think you were referring to counter charm. Yes. Counter charm. Thank you very much. I'm like, I knew it was sixth, in there somewhere. Wonderful sixth level thing where that allows you to basically cut charm and um, mind just influencing effects. So you can stop uh, or you can give creatures advantage on saving throws against being, frightened or charmed which mm -hmm. is which is pretty cool which is actually really cool and super handy especially if you're if you're coming up against one of those dragons and a whole bunch of other stuff of course too 
<laughs> yeah, uh, no, I'm I am playing uh, one of my favorite characters. I'm playing right now is a bard um, in our in our plus five to hit game, and he doesn't do a ton of damage. He really he really doesn't. Um, I he he has been extremely fun to play though because he's a smooth talker uh and he can manipulate the battlefield Mm -hmm. just because of the 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 spells i've taken and that has actually led to some of the funniest moments in our campaign (laughs) phantasmal force guys oh my gosh phantasmal force has been great um what is it that just never works uh Vicious mockery. Vicious mockery. Yeah, yeah. I I love every attempt that you do, but yeah, for some reason your dice hate you whenever you cast that. It's it's funny because it's uh, it's a really this is it's a it's a bard specific thing. Uh, this is a super fun spell if you're a bard because you basically get to mock a target, and if they fail a saving throw, um you basically do a tiny bit of damage and you give them disadvantage on their next attack. Mm -hmm. And it just thematically, it is one of the funnest, funniest things. And especially if you feel comfortable improving or whatever, you can come up with all sorts of super fun stuff for your mockery of the enemy. Exactly. And it's one of the fun things to watch and just kind of, you know, see if it works because I mean, I love it whenever you do a vicious mockery and it's always like the dumbest insult or one of the most clever things you've ever said. And they fail every time. Well, almost every time, like one in 10 seems to work for some reason. (laughs) It's a big celebration every time it happens. I don't, I don't understand it, but it's, it's my curse. Exactly. It's um, so one of the neat things is, is like, not only are they just, you know, really great hybrids and can do everything, but the different colleges that you get to choose from, from level three are also as varied as a bard can be. And I think that goes to, to speak to one of the strengths of being a bard is that you really do get to choose kind of what path you want to go down. Um, in my campaign, our bard, she is in the College of Swords. And, you know, she does uh, uh, dual-wielding attacks all the time. She actually gets um, two attacks per action as a bard. I mean, who would have thought that that would actually happen? Um, and then, you know, she's able to use her bonus action to inspire someone or, you know, do an offhand attack um, or, you know, cast any number of spells that are actually bonus action. Um, there is the College of Lore that deals a lot with, um, you know, really manipulating a lot of that stuff. Um, one of the great things about College of Lore is cutting words. I absolutely love cutting words. You can use your reaction to try to, you know, stop and make an enemy miss one of your friends or something, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah. And also, in, yeah, this is the the big one. If you want to be very caster based. College of Lore is the way to go as mm-hmm. you will get a lot more spells to use. Exactly. Um, I made for, let's see, last year, uh, Nevermore ran a, a campaign for me, you know, one shot for my birthday. I went with the College of Whispers, which there's some really crazy stuff that happens with the College of Whispers. Like if you really want to go for like a, uh, 
kind of a maybe even a dark and broody sort of character but one that you know uses their 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 bardic influence and like information gathering to you know kind of be a bad guy and and i'm not saying like like an evil character but you know kind of like an edgy bad guy in some way college of whispers is totally the way to go in fact i I gotta tell you very different oh yeah something that is just absolutely amazing uh at sixth level you get mantle mantle of whispers and you adopt a humanoid's persona if it dies within 30 feet of you you can magically capture its shadow and like turn into it and turn into that person until you finish a long rest it is absolutely amazing and weird and just like what the heck is going on with this that is uh, yeah there's a there's a lot of uh fun role play potential oh so much so in in that type of thing but yeah i mean bards are they're I mean, I've said it many times. You can put them in any sort of uh, situation and there's a way to get out. It's pretty great. Yeah. Play a bard. Try it out. Yeah. Seriously, it is is super fun. And every, every campaign I've been a part of that has had a bard has been far richer because of it. Yeah, it's funny because in every campaign that I play in, I want to play a bard, but someone grabs it before I do most of the time. And you know, Ben, and this is this is just for for everybody. That's not necessarily a problem. There's nothing that says you can't have more than one of the same class in the same game. Oh, most definitely. It's, a lot of it is really the DM's job to balance based on the classes that are playing that way it's it, it this is a, a old world of warcraft mantra bring the player not the class it it uh it fits for D a lot because you want the player to play what they find fun what they find interesting and the the nice thing about D classes is that two players can take the same class but they can uh, diverge in totally different directions just uh, based on the the subclass or even if they took the same subclass the spells or the the personality or their proficiencies or the types of things they take and you can have two of the exact same thing that can end up wildly different. Exactly. And I mean, you know, when I say that someone else always, always takes it, I mean that is true. And I know that there can't be more than one, but I don't know. I I just, I always feel like there needs to be just one bard because they are like that, that glam star of whatever party they're in. And I can't imagine what it'd be like actually seeing two, but I don't know. It'd be competition. But, oh man, you're it right. I might need, okay. So if she's whoever dies, there's going to be another bard. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with that. Oh, that'd be fun. It's going to be a little, a little competitive jealousy. Oh, definitely. It's it's all good. Uh, but yeah, check out Bards. Bards are pretty cool. Um, so moving on a little bit, uh, I wanted to give a quick community content shout out. And I mentioned this uh, while we were talking about our first topic, but this is Matthew Coville's um, action-oriented monsters running the game number 84. And this is, if you haven't seen it, this is an absolutely fantastic video where he talks about how to create encounters and monsters 
that are memorable. And this isn't something you'd want to do for every encounter, but this is something you could do um, for encounters uh, that you want that were like very story heavy or prevalent uh, or for monsters that you wanted to, to make uh, more interesting or tougher than norm. Uh, he talks about something called villain actions, which in, in a lot of ways is, it's kind of like uh, custom legendary actions for your, your uh, monsters that potentially happen in certain phases. So let's think, think of like a video game, right? Uh, it's, it's a very intriguing and interesting idea to develop a monster like say a raid boss in a video game where when a monster hits a certain percentage of health, X happens. When they hit a certain, when a con- certain condition is met, Y happens. And so it's, it's a very interesting video. It really gets your brain working. Um, and it's a great resource, I think, to helping you uh, make your combat encounters more dynamic. That sounds really cool. I'm going to have to check that one out. Mainly because, again, I, I sometimes have tunnel vision and have the one dude just straight up run up and attack another, one of my players. Yep. And that's not bad all the time. But that can get kind of boring for not only your players, but for you mm-hmm. as well. So uh, give yourself more options. Exactly. Never a bad thing. So uh, speaking of options... Uh, I hear that you've been doing some pretty cool, fun stuff lately. Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I had a I had my my last session that my DM game a little over a week ago, and it it went wonderfully. I uh, I've been prepping for this one for uh, about not not quite a month and a half, but we had a session the week before, got snowed out. Thanks, Missouri. Uh, but miraculously, every single person was free the next Saturday. Don't know how it happened. The stars, the planets, the moons, everything, everything, literally everything aligned. I don't think it will ever happen again. Uh, But so we were able to run it. Um, I had a, I got um, one of my cool Kickstarter things in called the big book of battle maps. And it's actually a really cool book because it's, it's laminate. So you can dry erase, wet erase on it. And it comes in two big books that allow you to, that have a bunch of different battlefields on them. And so you can mix and match as you want. Super, super cool. Worked out well. I added a little bit of my 3D printed terrain on it. I had been painting up some golems because uh, basically this Dragonborn organization was attacking the city. Uh, they were near this workshop. They were going to pick up a reward, but then things went crazy. The The mountainside exploded and a bunch of golems from this workshop were, were rampaging. And so I got to use a bunch of this stuff that I'd been kind of secretly painting this, this copper golem, this that clockwork dragon, this <laughs> a- ke- uh, keg golem that <laughs> shot ale attacks. It was absolutely wonderful. Um, and this, uh, and I used uh, several creatures from uh, Kobold Press's uh, Creature Codex and Tome of Beasts 
highly recommended if you're looking for some additional monsters. They're both super awesome books. And they're actually kickstarting the the second Tome of Beasts oh, right cool. now, which I backed immediately. I'm I'm a sucker for monster books. Uh, <laughs> nothing wrong with that though. No, it, it's it's good to have variety. And so they had a lot of fun with that battle. I actually threw in some dwarven civilians that made things interesting because there's a few characters I've got that um, were all about trying to rescue them as they, as they fled. I put them on their own initiative marker. It was so, so that was kind of cool. Added a little extra element to the battle. Um, and then uh, once they defeated that, they ended up, going back, finding that giants were invading the city of oh, all man. different types. Uh, so uh, very weird that frost and fire and hill giants were all working together. They don't know what's kind of going on with that right now, but they know that the, the dwarven district of my, my large city is under siege. Uh, as they were walking through, they saw large flaming boulders being hurled at the wall and deflected by magical shield runes along the the border wall between the, the city districts to that move into other things. Um, and they, they met this dwarf and dragonborn that gave them shelter essentially and had some downtime for the evening. Um, and it, it had been kind of building for a while, but a lot of really, really cool RP ended up happening. They, they finally got a chance to sit down uh, discuss some issues they had in in character with with one of the uh, other characters um, just for some of the decisions he had been making. Uh, we got a little bit of backstory on four of my six characters, which was really, really cool. Um, I got to reintroduce uh, an old character or an old NPC uh, friend into it. I got to run two really interesting dream sequences one I had kind of planned for and one completely improv because uh, my barbarian had taken ridiculous amounts of damage oh, wow. in the fight. And so when they got down to this basement of this house, he's like, my character goes to sleep. I was like, Ooh, okay. Well, we, there's a lot of talking going on and I feel like you're going to feel left out. So I actually, after some of the other players had talked, I, swapped over to him and I was like, you're in this field and in, 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 you see your dad who had died long ago when he was younger, sitting under this tree, reading a journal, which is something that he keep his character keeps and writes in. And so I improv this whole dream sequence and it ended up being incredibly awesome because this, this is a player who, um, is not the, the heaviest into RP, but it really, I think, kind of helped him out of his, his shell a little bit, um, especially seeing all the other players, characters interacting as they did. Yeah. And ended up driving his character in a direction that I didn't expect uh, because he went out on his own the next morning to, to, to go to this, this temple of Kord um, to, to try and figure some things out before the party got up. So he's off on his own. So now next time I have to decide how I want to deal with this few hour time gap, how I want to deal with him traveling through this district under siege 
and all sorts of stuff. Um, so that's, that's a whole interesting part. And then I had been planning for our cleric who had been, who's, he's, he worships this light God, you know, very justice and whatnot. And he's been making some questionable decisions Ooh. lately. And I, I told him at the end of our last session, your holy symbol cracks. So kind of like a, a sign of, you know, all ain't right in the world with, with you and with you and your deity. And so I was able to do this really interesting dream sequence with him where someone from back in the very first session, I brought back this NPC, this planetar essentially disguised as this woman um, of, of his deity. And she was talking to him and then this other mysterious figure comes out of the woods in this dream as they're sitting around this fire. He tells this, this woman, you don't need to be here right now, and just basically dismisses her. He wears this like the, the happy, you know, the... Mm-hmm. Like the, 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 the drama mask. mask. Happy, sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it actually moves. Oh, wow. Like his face. Um, and he introduces himself to my cleric as Jack. Hmm. And uh, it is a new deity, a custom created one, um, that has given him an offer of basically switching allegiances to him instead of uh, his his current god. Huh. So it's it's a very very interesting thing. Just because of the decisions he's been making, has attracted this. Uh, this other deity to him. Um, And so it'll be really interesting to see what kind of decisions he makes uh, based upon that. And uh, depending on that, how, how, and if his character's personality will change at the same time. So I'm super pumped. That's really cool. I'm, I'm excited to hear more about that actually. Yeah. Anytime you throw in something like that, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, I've been really trying as much as possible, especially lately, to really get uh, backstory going mm-hmm. for a lot of things. And sometimes it's it's very hard because a character's backstory may not be present, quote unquote, in a certain area. Yeah. But you can do things like dream sequences um, or things that even if they're not directly related to the character um, will kind of move their story along like the giants uh one of my character's parents was killed by giants um these aren't specific the specific giants or the specific area that it happened but it triggers something in him that he hates as well so that's it's become even though it's not uh directed at him it's become a character point for him that's very cool very cool yeah. What about you? Well, uh, I haven't been able to play since the last time we did, which was well before the holidays. Um, you know, we were supposed to have that one, but I ended up getting sick, so I wasn't able to. Um, but I have been doing some planning for, well, first of all, I came up with the next arc for the game that I'm DMing, which we're not even close to finishing the first one, but I've got a good idea for the next arc. And And like you said, trying to work in backstories to get things to kind of, you know, flow and piece together and everything like that. 
I think I've finally woven in um, potentially two or three people's backstories into something that's hopefully going to be the next arc. But, you know, obviously we'll see what happens with, with how the game goes and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I, obviously I can't really talk about it at all, but it's, I'm kind of excited for the, 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 I'm excited. the story and, and stuff that's going to happen with that. Um, other than that though, uh, I, I think I mentioned on our last episode that I'm going to be doing a one shot for my parents. I'm so excited. So I cannot wait to hear about this. I finally came up with what, what, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be just, you know, a simple thing. Um, the Lord's. Uh, kid along with a bunch of other kids were out in the essentially I'm going to make it like a kind of like a Boy Scouts type of thing. They were out. Are in the you wilderness. setting this in your world or just the random? Oh yeah, workshop? totally setting it in my world. Awesome. Of <laughs> just course. because all that stuff's already made, so I'm like, yeah, sure, heck yeah, yeah. The only person who's going to know anything that it's a, it's a, you know similarities and stuff is uh, Nevermore because you know she plays in my home game and she's going to be in this one too, but. So Lord Colville, his son and a whole bunch of other kids were out doing, I forget what I came up with right away for it, but it's um, basically um, the uh, Junior Adventure Survivalist Club or something like that. And uh, so they're out in the wilderness and they were attacked by goblins. And then all the kids were kidnapped and taken away by the goblins. So the, my, my parents and, and sister and nevermore, they're going to be level two adventurers and they're going to go and try to track down these goblins and, and get and rescue the kids. So super cool. Exactly. Super, super cool. Simple. I figure we'll, we'll have a day of them, you know, kind of talking to uh, people in the town, trying to get information a day out into the wilderness. Um, there's going to be, you know, a long rest. Next day, go into find the goblin encampment, have a nice big battle there. Um, you know, with, do a little tutorial. Oh, challenges along the encounter. way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, hopefully, I'm going to be able to get you know some different uh, you know just random skill checks kind of throughout because obviously there's going to be survival for tracking nature to see you know oh well did they eat these berries that might be poison I don't know something you know random stuff like that. Sure, sure. Um, so I, I've tried to kind of talk to them about, okay, well, what, you know, what kind of class do you want to play and stuff? And, you know, they're totally clueless about it and everything. So I'm like, okay, well, what I'm going to do is, you know, just kind of throw some characters together and then, you know, I'll bring the character sheets and then you can just kind of pick one when, when I get there. And I've talked to Nevermore. She's going to do a bard. So automatically it's like, okay, well, I'm covered with any sort of healing or combat or whatever needs to happen. Like I'm covered. I don't really need to worry too much about that. But I'm also making, uh, I made a cleric, a barbarian, a ranger, um, a sorcerer. And then I'm thinking maybe of throwing a fighter in there too, just to have another martial, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like straight up melee martial class, um, just to kind of see what's going to happen. But I'm, I'm going kind of... Uh, um, not exactly generic versions, but um, like if you look in the player handbook, the quick guide, I'm using that to make all these characters. Cause it's like, why not? You know, we don't really need to know too much about backstory or anything like that. So um, I've made a, a dwarven cleric, a Goliath barbarian. Cause I mean, Grog's the best, um, a, a dragonborn sorcerer and a wood elf ranger. And then, like I said, probably some sort of fighter, not sure yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I went out and I bought uh, everyone except for Nevermore their own set of dice. So it's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And they seem excited too, which makes it even better. 
But uh, that's going to be in, uh, let's see, what's today? It's going to be like two weeks from today is when we're going to be playing. Man, I, I'm so looking forward to hearing how that went. Oh, it's going to be so interesting just to get cool. an entirely different perspective on everything. So now the thing is, is my mom has read some of uh, RJ Salvatore's uh, uh, like Drist books. So she kind of, you know, knows the world a little bit, but you know, of course she's never played before. So I'm just, I'm interested to see just uh, how it goes out. And my dad who would, you know, was never really big into fantasy stuff is just going to jump right in and, you know, I, I'm curious as to how much RP I can get them to do and, and stuff like that. And it's, it's going to be pretty cool. Man, what awesome parents. That's, that's fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for you. Yeah, I, I really can't wait to share it. Can't wait to share. Excellent. Well, that's going to about do it for our show. One quick thing to note is that soon... TM, we will be doing a mailbag episode where we mm-hmm. will answer your questions. We've got uh, a few emails in the pot waiting. We've had uh, a few questions come in. So if you want to get on the mailbag show, tweet at us, email us, um, uh, hit us up uh, in any of the various methods, either me or Ben directly if you want to, um, questions or topics you'd like covered for that. And we will make sure to throw those in for the mailbag episode. So Ben, why don't you tell everybody where they can actually do that? Well, the, one of the best ways to do it is, uh, you know, if, especially if it's a lengthy question or anything, send us an email. Uh, you can find that. It's dndiscussions at gmail.com. So super simple. Name of the show at gmail.com. Uh, next up, if it's something, you know, that can fit within 280 characters, or if you want, you know, maybe a response faster than waiting for the mailbag, or you just want to, you know, chat with us about something, you can always tweet us. That is at DN discussions and also uh, give us a follow, you know, that way you'll know when new episodes are up and all that fun stuff. Um, on top of that, if you just love hearing us talk about things, but are interested what it's like for us to be in an actual campaign, Subscribe to Plus 5 to Hit. That's the campaign that we're in with uh, some friends of ours where we have a ton of fun going around and uh, adventuring and getting up to, uh, you know, getting into some trouble and whatnot. But uh, check out Plus 5 to Hit. Uh, Now, Ryan, if people are looking for you specifically, though, where is the best place? You can find me on Twitter at TBKZord where you will find uh, gaming, D&D discussion as well as stuff uh, from my hobbies. I do miniature painting, I do 3D printing, and I just recently took up dice making. So it's the, yeah, it's we the, need to talk more about that later. It's a trifecta <laughs> of hobbies. All three uh, feed into each other. So I, I feel pretty good about it. Next up, you just need to start writing your own modules. That's all. Man, uh, if I had unlimited time, I would... <laughs> I would be doing all sorts of like DMs guild type content things, but maybe, maybe eventually I would love to, I'd love to write some stuff or to, to co-create some stuff with some people, but it's just, it's more, more timing thing um, than a, than a want. (laughs) I understand completely. Um, If you're looking for me, you want to reach out, you can find me on Twitter. I am at Ben Bumhofer. And uh, also, last but not least, if this is the first time you've ever heard DN Discussions, well, guess what? This is episode 16. There's 15 other ones. 
So you can always check out every other episode that we've ever recorded on dndiscussions.com or also on uh, Google and iTunes and probably everywhere else. So definitely check us out. And uh, I got to say, Ryan, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I hope that your next combat encounter is muchly improved thanks to this discussion that we've had. I know mine already is. Uh, oh, no, it totally will be. I'm... I'm looking forward to throwing some giants up against my players. Oh, man. It'll be, it'll be fun. Well, guys, that wraps up this show for us. Until next time, it has been uh, great having you all listen. Uh, we really appreciate the support, and we'll catch you later. All right. Be good to each other, and have a good one.